Welcome back to the show, everybody. It's your host, Sean Scardina. I am so excited for this episode. Sean Stedman is the man, the myth, the legend, also the boss. And we'll talk about that for a second in a second. But just give you a quick background about this. Today's episode, we're going to be talking about higher ed. We're going to be talking about learning. We're going to be talking about Sean's experiences as a practitioner, helping out people as an educator. So important for our field. We have too many people who teach but don't practice. He practices. He teaches. Great mentor. Great somebody to follow. He is the director there at St. Louis University, where I just announced about a month, a month and a half ago that I'll be teaching at. Really excited to work with him and his team at SLU. It's great to be in St. Louis. Uh, you know, Welcome to the show, son. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Uh, I'm looking forward to having this discussion and hopefully we can help some people in the future. Yeah. So let's let's talk about if we're talking about future, you're you're obviously dealing with students, right, who are uh, probably come from a mixed background, especially if they're getting into emergency management. In terms of your student dynamics, do you find that there's a lot of 18 year olds that come right out of college or I mean, because you're doing with master's programs as well? Are they already practitioners? What is the level of competency that you're dealing with in higher ed right now? So it actually goes across the board. Um, we have undergraduate students who have never heard of emergency management and they fall into this. Uh, and we don't lose them because they're so excited about what they can do with it. Uh, yeah. But then we have graduate students who uh, they're from major agencies that are trying to move up in their career or they're trying to do a sidestep. So maybe they're a supervisor with a, a major agency like the DEA and they want to become an emergency manager because that's what they always dreamed of doing. And so mm -hmm. it's really a wide variety of students. Yeah, I found that to be uh, true in my master's program. I was one of those who fell into emergency management. I was hyper passionate about international law, actually, and humanitarian aid. And I was like, well, if I'm in my undergrad, like what will help me get into a really good master's or a, a law school and, and focusing on policy? And I was like, oh, what's emergency management? I figured that's that's a. Uh, I'm just going to you know, take a class and figure out what this is and then never look back. Never wanted to get a law degree. Uh, found a passion that uh, you know, I've kept you know, 15 years later. And so that's true. But there was a ton of students in my master's program who wanted to pivot into emergency management. And they found that you know, there was a competency issue without education. And we, we get this pushback right now from people who are like, oh, well, you know, experience means everything. And I agree. I, I have lots of experience. You have a ton of experience. But I, there is this part about education and building competencies. For those people who push back on, you know, they, they think their, you know, their life in the military or a first responder, even humanitarian aid is good enough to switch over to EM. What would, what would be your pitch to why education is so important? So it's really hard to switch over without knowing what you're switch over, switching over into. And <laughs> so from an educational standpoint, we give them a background and say, well, your skills are really strong. We appreciate them, but let's see if we can modify them so that it becomes more in line with the traditional emergency management career would look like, or those expectations that the community may have of you. Um, because being in the military, you understand the structure, you understand organizational input and organizational competencies. What we're saying is now we need to take those and let's focus those instead of on a military background or military admission. Let's focus those on a humanitarian mission. Mm -hmm. um, 
And so that education becomes that transition piece. Yeah, the you're talking about transition. Funny enough, I led with, you know, obviously bringing up that you're still a practitioner in the space, talking about military Coast Guard. Can you share with, uh, you know, the students literally this year? I mean, what was it? How many weeks ago that you were in Florida doing operations? How do you keep up that skill set? Do you have experiences where you're like, oh, I'm an educator, but I'm also a responder. And, and how do you how do you mesh those worlds together? You know, it, it actually is a pretty easy mesh. Um, so Floridans, we were going to go to Florida. And what they did was they said, you know what, we're going to make you remote. And so we ended up doing it remote because we were able to use technologies. Part mm -hmm. of that was we were able to use the technologies because comms were existing throughout the United States. But in Florida, they were non-existent in areas. Mm -hmm. And so they sent us in and said, well, we need to do a we need to do an accounting or an accountability of Coast Guard personnel. And so we used modern technologies and GIS mapping and other tools to be able to find these personnel and have 100 percent accountability uh, because Phenomenal. we were rescuing the rescuer, if I guess that if that makes sense. And that we were brought in to find out where all those personnel were in case they were needed for deployments. Real quick, we're going to pause for this week's Disaster Tough endorsements. How do you spell Doberman Emergency Management? EOP, OEP, HVA, HMP, Thyra, TTX, Drone, PDA. Whenever you need an expert, Doberman Emergency Management field experts are there for support. Contact an expert at DobermanEMG.com today. The L3 Harris Extreme 400P radio solves problems and is specifically designed for emergency services. How do we know? We field tested it with medical, urban search and rescue in collapsed and confined structures. This radio is amazingly tough. Check out the L3 Harris Extreme 400P radio at L3Harris.com right now. Okay, let's jump back in. It's uh, You're telling me about a fun, fun story about dropping in on a guy who hadn't reported back, right? Yeah, so we were we had get, been given the authority by the Admiral, and it was like, if we don't find these people, we're going to drop a swimmer in with a helicopter. And so if you can imagine sitting on your front doorstep and all of a sudden you're having a cup of coffee and you didn't answer, we sent out notifications. So we sent out text, emails, phone call. And if you can imagine, all of a sudden this helicopter would show up and here comes a rescue swimmer or law enforcement oh, comes gosh. knocking on your door and, and it's like, well, why didn't you answer the, the three communications levels that were sent out to you? We're trying to emphasize that, that technology is really important in terms of accountability. And Washington, D.C., the admirals are set in Washington. They want to know that everybody's taken care of. And, and so when you get involved with an organization, you have to understand that the organization, you have responsibilities to that organization. And it's not just I put my name on a piece of paper, but they have responsibilities back to you. And that's part of that. You ha it's a two way street there. Talk about uh, business continuity. And, you know, there's there's the two sides of that. Some, you know, the the fact that, hey, did you really need to sell the helicopter? But the other side of it is like. We care so much about you. We will send a helicopter so you better respond. Exactly. Right? We're going to treat it like an emergency. Yeah. And that, and that's key. And, and it's just like any corporation in business continuity. They want to take care of their personnel as well. Mm -hmm. So what do you have in place to make sure that happens? How do you make sure you have accountability? Um, and that's always an issue that management as part of their responsibility has to consider. Yeah. I th you know, running a small business, we are 100% virtual. Uh, my number two, she's in Georgia. Uh, my number three, he's in Vermont. I have interns all over the country. Uh, you know, we are my bookkeepers in LA, 
right? Or San Diego. Like we are a virtual company and uh, we've had to rely very heavily on technologies in order to, to stay ahead, to make sure that people are okay if they do get deployed or if we're, if we're even ar- arranging travel, blue sky stuff. We went down to Alabama, you know, just uh, two weeks ago to meet with a school district to help them out. And, uh, you know, well, there's a delay on a flight. Even I have the responsibility to track my staff to make sure that they can get down there safely or if they're stuck in an airport, wherever that may be. And technology makes that very easy, whether it's a text message or otherwise. We have lots of systems in place to, to have redundancies. But I don't feel like that's normal. I don't feel like the, 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 there's a cultural norm of creating redundancy that, that has to change. And I, I, I'm curious about the expectations of those who are, are in emergency management getting now because they're, they're so used to technologies. That is that norm switching? Or do you think there's still going to be a lot of pushback there? I think it's switching. As you're seeing younger emergency managers come out, we're training them on technologies in this in the higher ed area, mm-hmm. right? So they're understanding what's out there for from incident management to communications to accountability to mapping, GIS mapping. We're training those things in the educational environment. So as they're coming out, they're having expectations of the agencies they're going to work with saying, well, how come you're not using this? How come we're not tracking people? How come we're not using mapping? So they're asking those questions, which is starting to change that tide. And, and, and hopefully they're not doing it in an arrogant way, but just, a, hey, I've got something here that I think could really help us. And so I think overall, we're starting to see that, that rollover of technology being used more and more. I was uh, in Japan for a couple of years and the, uh, the essentially the leader of the group he would say, we just do that or we just don't do that. Mm-hmm. And he cleaned up a lot of stupid, uh, essentially immature problems very quickly because there's this expectation there. It's like, we just don't do that or we just do that. I find the same things happening when I was a, either a youth leader or you know working with college students, whomever, where they just have this expectation. And it's not, a, it's not an arrogance thing. They're just like, well, why aren't you doing that? Like, where is it? Because I'm, I'm expecting like... Uh, I went to a school district who had a 60% poverty rate and all the students had a Chromebook. Again, expectation that they would have access to a computer and materials and supplies and they ha- the school had gotten a grant. The, the good thing is like, there's just an expectation to do things. What are some of the expectations in emergency management that need to change for us to become better? I think the biggest expectation is that coordination and collaboration aspect. Mm. Um, We work for the people. That's who we work for. We work for the citizens of this country and our authority comes out of that. Right. So as part of our expectation is I need to take care of everybody and, and we need to take care of them in the best way we know how with the resources we have. Now, we don't own resources as emergency managers. We have to be able to use everybody else's toys, as they say. So I need to be developing relationships with other people in the community, the fire chiefs, the police chiefs, the public health officials, the medical institutions, and saying, all right, as we develop these, we're here to support you. And so one of the things we look at, somebody goes, well, are you a first responder? Well, 
in one capacity I am, but not as an emergency manager. As an emergency manager, I'm more of a second responder. You know, I'm there to make sure they have all the needs and the tools and the planning that goes with it to make sure that outcome or that mission is achieved. And so that's kind of the biggest issue right now is we're, we're going from that good old boy network to, all right, we really have a legitimate position and a legitimate role in order to make these successful. Yeah, even the term first responder to me, before it's very clear, first responder, fire, police, CMS, done. Yeah, like that's, and, and that's still very much true. And, and, and maybe even you, Star, as well. Like people I tip my hat to and consider heroes. Uh, but after going through several type one events, I, I, I'm hyper passionate that the strategic level, it should really just be called strategic and tactical because I can't do the tactical job. Like that's not, that's not my role, but it is much easier for them to operate when they can have all the other debris moved out of their way and they can help people. And so now I kind of just see myself almost as a, um, almost as a snowplow. I think that's probably, I, we put up this funny thing on one of our social media channels, I think for the readiness lab, we asked about what should be the official animal mascot. I got people said ants. This guy went on the whole tangent about how an ant is a, is an actual animal. So we should be ants. That's a whole other thing, but maybe it shouldn't be an animal. Maybe it should be a snowplow. I don't know. Something, something fun to think about. Yeah. And that's even as emergency managers, we need to know and understand tactical because mm-hmm. I need to know and think ahead two to three days, what you're going to be needing, because I need to be taking care of that on the backside to make sure you get what you need in a timely fashion. I need yeah. to think about what those things are going to occur, cascading effects that might occur to the population so that I can start thinking ahead. Uh, and you can be creative about it. Right. Uh, yeah. And that's part of the fun of emergency management. It's, it's never the same. No incidents, the same, no responses, the same. And mm-hmm. as, as we coordinate and collaborate these things and bring the strategic down to the tactical, that's where that art, if you want to call it an art form, that's where that occurs. Yeah. I think there's a difference. Uh, every disaster is different, is different, but hopefully we don't have to reinvent the wheel every time either. And I, and I think you and I both get that. Hence education. Every student is different. Their, their personal experiences, their background, the cultures that they're bringing, and yet we still teach these principles um, that hopefully will improve their trajectory. We want to impact trajectory, whether it's through this podcast or through classrooms or, you know, the dynamic populations class, which I've, I've, I've hounded you on right. to go to this right. class. But when you have agency heads out there, when you have directors out there, uh, when you have people who've been doing this for a while and they said, I've never thought about this before. Or I, this is uh, this is more intense, or more this, or more that. Then you know you've hit something. You've hit a nerve, and uh, you get to. It's that that learning process that's really fun to achieve. In fact, I'm going to call out Ingham County, Michigan, for a second. I know it's football season. I'm sorry for bringing up that dirty word, Michigan, but the uh, the um, sheriff, one of the, somebody from the sheriff's office, came from the county. He called us and said, I just went to a PIO class put on by this other group that rhymes with EMA. And uh, he's like, I just couldn't deal with it. Like it was death by PowerPoint. 
So we're, we're trying to be innovative in our own ways and in our own processes to help people by kind of breaking out of the molds, that good old boy network and saying, this is a professional field with standardization and, and you should customize based off of those standards. But we have to get to that point first. Yeah. And I think we're making progress towards that. I really do. Mm -hmm. um, we're finding that agency heads are they're, they're spouting what their topic is, right? One of the yeah. most interesting exercises I ever had was in Washington, D.C. We brought the agency's head in, heads in, and then we brought in their number ones or their executives. Cool. And so the first part of the day, gonna... we did, okay, let's talk about what you would do if we had a response. And we talked about a, it was a, a response to a toxic inhalation hazard over a city. And so we said, what would you do? And the agency's head said, well, we would do this and this and this. So then in the afternoon, we made them switch chairs. They moved to the back row and their number ones moved up. And they said, oh, we said, OK, same question. What would you do? And they were like, well, that's not exactly what we would do. What they said earlier, we would actually do this and we would do this. And it was more what we found it was more collaboration and coordination between the agencies Interesting. because they weren't spouting the traditional line. They were yeah. like, we're really doing this and we have to work with these people and this is what we do. And I think that's the key that's starting to happen is that people are starting to realize that those roles and responsibilities have changed. It's no longer I have to do what I was told. It's I need to do what 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 has to occur to make this a successful uh, outcome. So, Well, let me use that as a pivot point here. I don't know if this is a an easy transition or not. But you're talking about outcomes and, and pivoting towards the right direction. I'm obviously now a huge fan of SLU. I live here. I teach there. I'm a, a big fan of the, you know, the mentor here, you know, Sean Stedman. Uh, in terms of the outcomes that you're looking to get at SLU, what are we trying to achieve here? What, what is the goal? What is your mission as a practitioner who's become an educator to kind of kick in, kick in the door there a little bit? So I'm not the brightest guy on the block, right? There's a lot of people that are I lots disagree. of disagree. <laughs> uh, but we, the Emergency Management Institute, which is under FEMA, uh, they've come out with these competencies. So we built the program on those competencies that they expect uh, emergency managers to have. Now, these were put together by a lot of academics, a lot of very smart people. Uh, and so we use those to help address and focus our outcomes. At the same time that we're overlaying that practitioner level. So we're like, okay, these are great outcomes, but hey, let's add some of these to it. Um, one area that wasn't addressed a lot in those outcomes was exercises. And we believe very strongly that you need to exercise and practice these things. So we overlaid yeah. that on top of it. So now we have both the federal level competencies and we have the practitioner based competencies. Um, and that's what. I want our students to come out and we, we operate off the three principles. One is saving lives. That's number one. Two is stabilizing the incident. We don't want it to get any worse and we don't mm. want it to cause harm. And three is then we worry about all the other factors. Um, yeah. And sometimes we forget that in the heat of the moment and first responders forget that in the heat of the moment. All right. Firemen, they go out and they see a fire and they say, I've got to take care of the fire. It's like, well, but do you really have to take care of the fire or can we just let it burn and nobody gets hurt? So yeah. those are things that we're trying to educate from a strategic standpoint. What are our real obligations and what are our, what do we need to do for the community to make sure they're safe? Yeah. So I'm going to, before I say this statement, 
I, I need to tell the audience that Slu didn't pay me to say this, and I just like saying it because I work there and uh, excited to 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 get involved in Slu. Um, but that was one of the major major draws when I was looking at it, and you know the opportunity of meeting with you at lunch the other day about this response focus. There are, there are too many people in emergency management. I know the single source where where it started and it has festered in such a negative way where people think emergency management, i.e. emergency management, shouldn't be involved in emergencies. And that is that is a, a broken perspective. Emergency managers should do everything they can do to prevent a response from, from happening. Absolutely. But in a response, especially a catastrophic response, there is so much that we can do to help, to, to, to save lives, to speed up recovery, to worry about cascading impacts and think about you know strategic ideas we need to we really need to hone in onto those things and quite frankly it's attractive for people who want to get into this field right they want to help out with emergencies almost as a humanitarians in in this in this policy development kind of way um, but I, I think we lose that a little bit because of some of the some of the the contractors out there who are who want to push away from that so they can get more money essentially. So yeah. all things all things really important to highlight. Um, as as we move away from that though, as you know, you're talking about your own personal experiences. Advice to the future, right? The 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 emergency managers are getting out there who maybe are just graduating, maybe from your program or for other programs. What advice would you give to them of how to really tackle this field? you know, take it by storm. I think the biggest piece of advice I would say is continue to learn. Mm. Um, one of the things that we really need to be stronger at is what's everybody doing and how are they going about doing it? So if you have those opportunities to take tactical courses, take them. If you have the opportunity to go to various institutes and places around the country that offer free training, take advantage of it um, because you're going to come back with a different perspective. And you're going to be able to be more of, of more value to those people that are on the front line if you've taken some of the same courses they have. That doesn't mean I'm going to be a police officer, but I'm going to understand what they need to do their job and some of the tactics and st strategies to support them. Um, mm. That's key, the continuous learning. The other thing is to make contacts because you never know when you're going to get that call at two in the morning that says, can you come help me? And, and every emergency manager I know will say, let me get on the plane. Uh, yeah. So it really is a calling. And I think people look at it as a job sometimes, and it's more than a job. It really is a calling. It really is a lifestyle. You're yeah. following things that aren't normal. You know, every morning I get up, the first thing I do is I look at the weather. Cause I, okay, <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. and it's like before yeah. I got on the call, I'm looking at, okay, what's the latest hurricane situation? Yes. Right. Because I'm trying to plan in advance on what's going to occur. Uh, that's key. When they do the planning, you need to look at the planning as in what are you going to do to affect the outcome? You're not just doing plans to get grants. And that's what I said to the students one time. I said, you know what? Everybody writes grants. You have to write grants because you need funding. But you need to understand why you're getting the money. It's not to buy the radio that's going to sit on the shelf and then you forgot to buy batteries as mm -hmm. part of the grant. So now you don't have access to a radio as it dies. You know, you need to think ahead. What are we going to use it for? What are we going to do with it? You know. Um, a lot of funding came out 
uh, after 9-11. And there's a lot of concern about what happened to all that funding. Where did it go? And so part of our responsibility is to make sure that we use it in the best manner possible. Yeah, being responsible for that. There's there's a there's more funding in EM right now than I've ever seen before. States have massive amounts of money that was sent to them because of COVID, and to use that prudently, to use it effectively, to to help out the the end user essentially. Really great call outs there. Um, keeping the keeping the purpose at heart. I got into emergency management because I was really frustrated with. Uh, you know, a disaster that happened impacted some of my friends. And I was like, again, that lawyer perspective, I'm going to impact international humanitarian aid through, through this law degree. And then I found that there was this niche area that I could dive into. And I never looked back and I do feel like it's like a calling. I do feel it's an opportunity to, you know, we do think first responders a lot. We could thank them even more military. We could definitely think a lot more. But, um, man, they can't do everything, and they shouldn't be expected to do everything. We need to be a support system to them and to our other other stakeholders as well. And, uh, you know, the, just making those call-outs, wow. Like, hopefully somebody's listening to this right now and saying, yes, I'm thinking about getting an emergency management, and I do feel like it's a calling as well. So shout-out to you who's ever out there who's thinking about that. And the other side of that is for the emergency managers that are out there actively engaged in the business, be willing to mentor those younger individuals. Uh, Be willing to reach out to the universities around you or those locations. Hey, listen, I'd like to be able to mentor a couple of students because they need that. They were, Mm -hmm. you know, we stand on the shoulder of giants and we want to make sure that the next generation doesn't have to relearn some of the things we learned. Yes. I, a real world, uh, I work with NATO as part of my day job, right, with Doberman. And they're, even though the, we've been dealing with war in the Middle East for the last 20 you know, plus years, the, the lessons learned of how to do civilian military operations for uh, large-scale populations that don't migrate, i.e. World War II, a lot of those lessons are lost. And so now they're looking at emergency managers and they say, okay, Forget like the the why. It could be a bomb. It could be an earthquake. But when you have millions of people who are in a population that needs support, mass care, evacuations, you know, medical transport, triage, all that stuff, how do you help out that population? And uh, really interesting that military officers are reaching out to emergency managers and saying, "You are perfecting this craft from a strategic level. Let's see if we can apply it." Uh, across the board. And so it shows, if anything, it shows that innovation wheel is starting to turn where we are absolutely required to be on the top of our gang, game because if a general from NATO calls you or, in my case, messaged you on Instagram and said, what do you know about setting up refugee camps in Poland? Then you have to be able to say, let me connect you to the right people instead of, I don't know, good luck. Right. You know, that's not that's not going to work. Well, and, and I've been lucky enough to like St. Louis University, which I love. It, it's a very it's a Catholic Jesuit university. And so we're really putting boots on the ground for the mission. And that is the humanitarian helping others around the world or in the United States. And so it's been a nice mesh between mm-hmm. the two. 
uh, and they're fully supportive of what we do because they, they see the value in it. And, yeah. and, and we get those calls from, you know, you know, I was contacted by somebody that's working in the Ukraine. They're like, Hey, can you be a planning section chief for the Ukraine on a humanitarian mission over there? And I'm like, well, I can, but I need to check with, make sure that from the <laughs> state department standpoint, I'm okay with that. Yeah. They're so, like, Hey, who are you working with? Yeah. Right. Right. So there are some, boundaries we have to work within from from political and legal uh but the names are starting to get out there that hey these emergency managers know how to do logistics they know how to do finance they know how to do operations they know how to do planning because they're practitioners and they're not just the guys that are pushing planning to get grants and so we're finding that there's more and more people that are reaching out to the emergency managers going can you help us forget bricks on a shelf you know, it's all about the planning process and making these things living documents and living processes. And I'm so excited for the field, especially, uh, you know, every week I get to talk to an SME. I've talked with SMEs at other universities, Georgetown University, specifically calling that out. I've talked with SLU, you know, two Jesuit universities, um, uh, SUNY, as well as practitioners in the field who deeply care about instructing and helping other people out. And it's amazing. You know, you you look across the board, there is a strong pool from real leaders to pass on information, to get them to coordinate and collaborate more, to be involved and become more professional in that process. And the word is definitely getting out. And the word is getting out uh, today about you, Sean, about how you're a true leader. And I I highly respect uh, the fact that you're able to come on the show and share some of your experiences with us and talk to us. Um, if we were able to give one last final piece of advice to our audience, what would that uh, advice be? I think the advice would be keep an open mind and keep on striving towards the goal. Whatever that goal is, it's your goal. So keep on trying to achieve that. And you'll find that you make friends and along the way and people that are there to help you. Uh, we might title this episode, Keep On Keeping On with uh, Sean Stedman and St. Louis University. But uh, either way, great, uh, great conversation. Thank you for kind of walking us through kind of the rabbit hole. You know, we, we've been on this trend here for the last little bit, just different areas to dive in. I think we covered like six or seven areas in what, 30 minutes. And, uh, if anything, it shows you or shows our audience how easy it is for somebody with experience to just highlight very briefly, very easily, um, you know, the, this information. And so, um, we all need to work with that and uh, keep learning for sure. Um, so if you, uh, I'm t- talking to the audience now, if you liked this episode, if you learned something, if, it, if, it, if your desire to want to even be a person who feels like they have a calling in this and seek education, there's so many different ways to do that. We've offered books. We've talked to uh, educators. We've looked at, you know, you're listening to this podcast right now. There's lots of different ways. If you have found something that you feel like is like a aha moment for you in the field, put us in the comments of disaster tough podcast on, um, you know, across our social media channels. I would love to see how people are learning across the field and how they're staying educated. One great opportunity for everybody to stay educated is attending emergency management response for dynamic populations. I've been telling Sean, he needs to go. He definitely, uh, one of these times we're going to get him there. 
but that is a great opportunity to see high fidelity interactive training of what it can be like and learn from other experts. So check out the readinesslab.com for that training. Tell us what you else you're doing and we'll see you for the next one.